We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Paul is leading Titus. Paul is leading Timothy, who's leading leaders in his specific church. Paul is leading Titus, who's leading leaders in the whole island. And so there's that spiritual structure. You know, kind of like what we see, and again, we don't have all the details of how this always works, but we do know this, that Jesus is the head of the church. And then he calls men, and what they do is they have that, that authority, that responsibility. I don't know if you guys ever looked into the way it works for Calvary Chapel, but you know, we, um, we had a leader, you know, Pastor Chuck Smith, but God's taken him home to be with the Lord. And so now things are kind of getting a little delineated. Um, we have what's called regional directors, and so they're kind of overseeing certain regions. And then you also have what's called the sending pastor, like for example, my sending pastor would be raw. But then you also have what's called the senior pastor within the church, and that's the structure of the church the principle being this, that we have leaders of leaders. And that's just the way it works. Ultimately, Jesus is the leader. Here, Paul, knowing that authority, knowing that responsibility, is thinking about the island of Crete. And he said, man, the things in Crete, you guys are struggling. And so here is part of the answer. Timothy, I mean, Titus, I want you to set things in order through the teaching of the word. And Titus, I want you to appoint elders within that church who will teach the word and who will lead the people by the Bible. You know, and when I look at that, to me, I think, you know what, this is cool, Lord. This is what we need, too, in Calvary Chapel Almani. This is what we need, too, in America. You know, I don't know if you guys heard the news, but from what I understand, uh, uh, medical marijuana is now going to be legal in the state of New York. Did you guys hear about that? And uh, now that makes 20 states where you can you know, smoke weed uh, legally. Colorado, they say uh, there in Colorado, you can smoke weed uh, just as a recreational drug. And so, you know, that's happening. Um, the Rose Parade, I mentioned to you last week that they were going to have their gay marriage, and they did, their gay wedding there on the float, parading it before the whole world to see. It went forth without a glitch. But did you hear about the protests they did have at the Rose Parade? Anybody hear about that? They had this major protest, even people getting arrested because SeaWorld had whales in their floats. You know, and I'm like, what? What's up with that, man? You know, here you have this float over here, you know, die-cast sin and rebellion in the face of God. It goes by without a glitch. And you have these people over here, animal lovers. They love whales more than they do the babies that they kill through abortion. And so, you know, Lord, what, what can we do? And I like what Paul is saying to Titus. He says, here's something to think about. Set things in order through the teaching of the word. And may God raise up godly men with shepherds' hearts to ordain there in the island of Crete. And that's what we need. That's what we need in our country. I don't know if you have a better suggestion, but man, for our country, we need the Lord. 
We need God to get his word out. We need God to raise up men who fear him, who love him, who are completely committed, not distracted, focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ because they need, we need, our country needs power. And I look at this and I think, wow, Lord, this is kind of similar to what we need. We need to set things in order. That word right there, it literally speaks of making something straight. Right now, everything's all crooked, right? Right now, there's a lot of disorder. God wants to set things straight. God wants to create order. What God wants to do is God wants us to appoint elders. He says right there to Titus, in every city. And that means to ordain elders in every city. We know that formality literally means to lay hands on them. You know, and you might wonder, well, what's an elder? Um, well, we know the Greek word translated elders, it literally speaks of someone older in age. The assumption being that with that age, there will be an element of spiritual maturity and wisdom. You know, they say that if you have gray hairs, that you're wiser, right? Is that true? Yes. Sometimes. <laughs> Sorry, man. I have gray hairs, so I'm not going to tell you that I'm all that wise. And I do know a couple of gray hairs guys that are not wise guys, to be honest with you. But generally speaking, the older you get, and I've learned this, no offense to you young people here, okay? But generally speaking, I've learned that the older you get, the more there's the maturity, the spiritual maturity, the wisdom, especially if you've been studying the Bible all your life. You know, you've been studying it now, and you know, for me, since 1989, just studying it year after year after year. That's what an elder is, you know? It's an old one, literally older, but generally speaking, someone who has that spiritual maturity, the spiritual wisdom. The concept of elders clearly comes from the Old Testament form of leadership, where the elders are referred to 133 times. And so, as we study the Bible, we look at elders. Uh, we know the word is synonymous with other words. For example, overseers, we're going to see that today. Bishops, pastors, shepherds, all the same office. Here we see the elder is mentioned. You know, and I just want to encourage you guys to know this, that as the church is challenged, there are problems with people, there's chaos in Crete, people are getting high, they're doing crystal meth, they're addicted to pornography. You got all these crazy things that are going on in the world, there's no answer. No answer except for Jesus Christ. Except for God raising up men who would be shepherds. Except for God getting his word out. Like Pastor Chuck said, simply teaching the Bible simply. You know, we don't put the cookies on the top shelf because bottom line is most people, they're, they're just, you know, right here, they're short like me, right? We want to get the word out in a simple way so that people can understand it. And when the church is challenged, I love the answer that Paul offers right here. Set things in order by the teaching of truth and make it plain and ordain and anoint more pastors and elders in the church. I think we need that even here in our church, you guys, if I could just share that with you. You know, we need, you guys got to pray for me that I'll teach the word better, um, but we also need more pastors. We need more elders here. You know, I know it's got to be the Lord, so I wonder, well, how do you do that? Well, it's got to be the Lord. It's got to be the Lord piercing your heart. You know, a lot of guys, they don't want, they don't want to do it. They don't want to, and it's a hard commitment, and there's such a test, and there's such a challenge. You know, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's looking for men who would be willing to be pastors. 
You know, we need it. How does it happen? Well, it's got to be the Lord. He chooses whom he uses. He anoints, he appoints, he shows the leadership in the church. He shows that leader himself who it is. There's a calling on my life. There's a calling on his life. And then we look at the qualifications. We pray over all these things. And so we ask God to do the work. And what ends up happening is if you really want to be a pastor in Calvary Chapel Almighty, we've got to be on the same page. And then God will show us, the board will vote, and will lay hands on you, and you watch what God will do. And I believe God is raising up men at a critical time in the church, but we will be tested. You know, I wonder sometimes if there's that fire and desire in men's hearts. You know, the Bible does say if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work, 1 Timothy 3.1. It's a good desire. Why? Because it's a good work. But it must not be taken lightly. Whatever you do, you got to count the cost. Don't agree to be you know, deeply involved unless you know what you've been called to and the responsibilities that you have. Because when you get involved in the ministry, man, there will be mountaintops that you can't even begin to explain, but there will be valleys so low that you won't even be able to begin to understand. And if you're doing this for anyone other than Jesus Christ, then you will surely fall by the wayside when you're in those low valleys. And we read the principle in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4, and no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. And so, you know, I'm just trying to make it, uh, trying to make it a little simple, but at the same time trying to, you know, cast the net. Is there a pastor here today that would rise to the call? Knowing that that's what we need. We need God to teach his truth and set things in order, straighten out the crooked, get rid of the chaos. But we need God to anoint and appoint and choose and use men. Men would answer the call. It's not easy, though. And so you've got to count the cost going into it. And part of the reason I say that is because if you do say yes, I don't want you to stumble and say, well, you never told me. You know? Yeah, I told you. You know, I told you. You know, I love the ministry, don't misunderstand, but pastoral ministry is not easy. It's difficult, painful, lonely, nonstop. It takes its toll on us spiritually, emotionally, physically. It takes its toll on my family. And there are many days I really wonder what life would be like if I had chosen to go another route. But by God's grace, he's allowed us to serve. I pray that God would raise up men, elders, pastors, but don't think it's a dream job because it's nothing less than a constant war until the day you die. We're not to enter the ministry lightly. So heavy is the ministry, one guy said, a man should only enter the Christian ministry if he cannot stay out of it. And some of you here, maybe you feel that call. You're like, man, I feel called. I sense the calling. And I want to encourage you to answer that call. You see, we see, first of all, the command. It's twofold there in verse 5. He says to set things in order and to appoint elders in every city. But then we see the qualifications or the character. Because look what we read in verse 6. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Now, these are the qualifications for a pastor. But I also want to encourage you to know that there are ambitions for all of us. You know, we're going to see 
that Christianity begins in the home. It really does. It begins with the man and his family. It's all about heart and character, not degrees or pedigrees. I mean, if education was that important, wouldn't the Lord have said, you can be a pastor if you have a degree from the University of Jerusalem? You know, but he doesn't say that. He says, no, you want to be an elder, a pastor, a bishop, a shepherd, an overseer, an episcopos, then this is what you have to start with. You have to start with your home. And you begin to get things right there. And that's so important. That's the key to our country, our family. And so he says that's where it begins. Barclay said Christianity begins at home. It is no virtue for any man to be so engaged in public work that he neglects his own home. All the church service in the world will not atone for neglect of a man's family. And so how are things at your home? Well, from when I look at it, it looks pretty good, but who knows what's really going on in the home? You've got to talk to the wife. Right? She knows what's going on. Sometimes the husband, you know, and a lot of times they just say, well, it looks good, but it's not really good. And so is that supposed to discourage you? Is that supposed to beat you up? Is that supposed to condemn you? No, that's supposed to lift you up, and that's supposed to just bring us to that point where I want my Christianity to be real. And I know when God looks at me that it begins there in the home, that we, we have to be blameless. The Bible speaks of being blameless as one of the distinctive marks of those who aspire to the office of elder within the church. As such, their work for the church, as well as their interactions with others, are to be of moral quality. What we see that blameless doesn't mean without sin, because no Christian lives a sinless life until we're there in the glorified state. But blameless means that the overseer's life is, sin is free from sinful habits or behaviors that would impede him and his walk. As a blameless brother, we see here, first of all, that he is to be the husband of one wife. Okay, so if anybody here married to more than one wife right now, out of curiosity? Okay, you can't be a pastor now, I'm just joking. You know, of course we know it, it refers to polygamists, that it would exclude them. An elder cannot be married to more than one wife at one time. Um, but, and this is where it can get a little bit complex, and I'll let you guys make the final judgment, you're on yourselves personally, but many would say that an elder cannot be a Christian man who has been divorced as a Christian. The word one is in the Greek language and is there for a reason. It means just one wife. And so, you know, if you were divorced before you were a Christian, of course that doesn't count because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that when you become a Christian, everything becomes brand new. The old is washed away. So you start over when you become a Christian. But if you were divorced while you were a Christian, that's, that's pretty heavy. Why? Why were you divorced as a Christian? Well, it was her fault. Really? Usually it doesn't work that way. Usually there's more to it than that. And so we find in reading this right here that, you know, there's a complicated question. And a lot of times, you know, when people look at this, I'll leave it up to you, but some believe the husband of one wife means he's only had one wife as a Christian. Otherwise, he's not really all that blameless. And so God examines the marriage. He also examines the children. It says right here, they are not to be wild and disobedient, unruly and rebellious. They're to be faithful. Or as one translation even says, they are to be believers. And the reason is given over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. 
It says, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And so in one sense, you guys, the way that we kind of got to see it is that your house is like your little church where you lead. And you know, and that's the real you, huh? We go home, we make our guesadillas, we put our slippers on, we turn on the TV, and we just kind of, that's the real you, right? And, and, and as you're there, and think about it, husbands, for a second, it's not easy to lead your wife, huh? Amen? Amen. It's hard sometimes, right? You definitely don't want to be a shoving leader, because that's not going to get you anywhere. You're going to get in trouble with God if you do that. It takes wisdom. It takes prayer. It takes love to really lead a home, to have your wife there with you through thick and thin, and to bring your children up. And of course, you know, you have to give them tanangasos every once in a while. You have to discipline them, or else they will be unruly, or else they will be rebellious, or else they will call the shots. But the main thing is you got to love them and lead them to Jesus Christ. And that's our heart, and that's our home. And God says, if you want to be an elder, you know what? That's got to be you know, where it starts. When you're ordaining men, Manny, this is what you got to look for. This is where it starts. They need to be blameless in their family life. And then secondly, they need to be blameless in their moral life. Look there at verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, and not greedy for money. And so maybe you want to be a bishop. Oh, man, that would be so cool. Or maybe you are one, and you're like, okay, these are things that I've got to take to heart. Or maybe you're looking at your leaders and you're saying, well, what kind of qualifications should they have? I have talked to people who say you need to have a college degree. You know, a guy came in last Sunday night and he wanted to get involved in the ministry. A young guy, he's, he's barely, he barely got saved about a year ago. And so he was asking me about that. You know, and, I, and I, he said, what do you think about this school over there? I want to go get a degree and then become a pastor. And I told him, I said, you know what, if you want to, that's cool, man. That's totally between you and the Lord. I said, but when I read my Bible, I don't see that. When I read about, you know, Peter, and I read about these guys, John, and I read about them being effective on the day of Pentecost, or whatever the, the case may be throughout the book of Acts, you know, for them, it wasn't a degree. For them, it was they had been with Jesus. Now, Paul had a degree, God used it, but what we find is that in looking at this, I was telling this young guy, I said, let the Lord lead you, but man, if I was you, and coming from a Calvary Chapel background, I told him, take some classes at Calvary Chapel Bible College, get involved in ministry, start serving, start scrubbing toilets, start vacuuming, start mopping you know, the floors, start learning what it really means to be a servant. Start learning what it means to really minister to people. And then you're going to find that after you have your education and you have everything together, you know, it's not just this concept in your mind. It's, it's a life in your heart. You see? And this is what he's saying. He says, as far as the qualifications go, it starts with your home. You want to live life in, right in your home. And it starts in your heart. He says right here, and it's interesting, now he shifts over to the word bishop. Did you notice that there in verse 7? For a bishop. So he's talking about an elder, now he's talking about a bishop. Synonymous, right, for the same office. A bishop is somebody in a chess game. No, I'm just joking, that's not a bishop. How many of you here play chess? 
Will you play my son and beat him, please? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. A bishop is an overseer. In the Greek language, it's episkopos. It's somebody who oversees. They're a superintendent. Literally, it speaks of someone who makes sure things are getting done. And so, same word. And also, it's interesting right here, notice again, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward. And so a steward was a house manager. In those days, oftentimes a steward was a slave, an educated slave at times, not always, but a slave, a trustworthy slave, something we read about in chapter 1, verse 1, if you remember, a slave being a steward. A steward is someone who would oversee the house affairs. He didn't own the house, but he was responsible for the management of that house. And in one sense, and overseeing even the servants, sometimes even the children, in one sense, that's what an elder is. That's what a pastor is. He has that element of being uh, an overseer, being a steward. And then he lists here five things they're not to be. They're not to be, number one, self-willed, not self-pleasing. You can't be a man who wants it, you know, if they don't get it their way, they're kind of like a two-year-old who throws tantrums. It's got to be, Lord, you know what? In all honesty, if it was up to me, I wouldn't do this. I don't want this. But this is not my church. This is your church. Jesus said, let, not this, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. It always has to be a discovery of God's will. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered. Ooh. Now, for us guys, that one kind of like hits home, huh? How many of you guys struggle with anger, right? You don't have to raise your hand. But, um, you know, all it takes is boom. That's it. That's all the wife has to do to get you mad, to make you explode. And God just challenges us. He can't be quick-tempered. He can't be a man given to wine. You know, I remember one time I saw a, a, a pastor drinking at a wedding. I told you guys about this. And he was... He kind of made a fool of himself and was a bad witness, not judging him or anything, but just saying in one sense, man, I could see the wisdom of that. The Lord told, uh, we see in the book of Proverbs, that leaders are not to be drinkers. And Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't be drunk. Do not be drunk, because that's a wasted life. But be filled with the Spirit. See, you always have to have those capacities to make good decisions. Not greedy for money. The word right here describes a man who doesn't care how he makes money so long as he makes it. It, you know, it, it, it so happens that this was a fault for which the Cretans were notorious. One historian said they are giving, so given to making gain in disgraceful and acquisitive ways that among the Cretans alone, of all men, no gain is counted disgraceful. And so they said, according to this historian, that they stuck to money like bees to honey. The Cretans counted material gain far above honesty and honor. And so, you know, if you want to be an elder, you can't, it says right here, be self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent. Now, the word in the Greek, it literally means a striker, okay? And so I know, like, most of us here think that's weird. Like, I'm sure, you know, you wouldn't get violent, would you? Well, maybe with your kids, but you shouldn't. You got to be careful, right? But in those days, what they would literally do, the church leaders, uh, from what I understand, is they would strike the congregants to discipline them. 
And so what he's saying right here, and we read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as well, is that they're not to be violent. And so, you know, these are things we take to heart. These are things we're not to be. And then he says these are things we are to be. Look at verse 8. But hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. Hospitality, the Greek word right here speaks of someone opening their house and home to traveling or persecuted Christians. William Barclay said the Greek word philonixos literally means a lover of strangers. In the ancient world, there were always many who were on the move and inns were notoriously expensive, dirty, and immoral. And it was essential that the wayfaring Christian should find an open door within the Christian community. And I was just thinking about that word right there, you guys, lovers of strangers. You know, do we love those that we, we never met? I'll tell you what, I've met men who have shepherds' hearts. They have pastors' hearts. And it's kind of like when a new person comes in, I notice that they're drawn to them. You know, maybe you're here today and, you know, you've never experienced that. You've come to Calvary Chapel Amani and, and you've left and no one ever said hi to you, no one greeted you, no one hugged you or whatever. I apologize for that, you know, but I think that there is that heart here, you know, that, and especially when you see it in a guy's heart, pastor's heart, he sees someone new and he just says, you know what, my heart goes out to them. I want to welcome them. I want them to know they're loved. I want them to know God has a plan for their life. Why? Because that's the way the Lord is. Even the Lord would leave the 99 and go looking for the one, right? And so he's got to be hospitable, a lover of strangers, a lover of what is good. And the word right here means to devoted to or a lover of that which is beneficial and helpful. He goes on to talk about being sober-minded, and that means you're, you're, you know, you're, you're um, temperate and you're curbing your desires. The word just is usually translated righteous, and it refers to the observance of those divine laws. The word holy right here is not hagios, but it's a different Greek word, and it means free from wickedness, observing moral obligations, pure and pious. And so, you know, if you're called into the ministry for sure, you're called to holiness, you're called to be set apart. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon, I love what he said. He said, whatever call a man may pretend to have, if he has not been called to holiness, he certainly has not been called to ministry. And then the last thing he mentions right here in this verse is self-control. And it literally speaks of strength under control. This is a robust, robust individual who has power from God mastering their temptations. You know, yesterday I was talking to a young guy and my heart just went out to him. My heart went out to him because I saw the struggle. And if you had to ask me, if you were asking me whether or not he knows the Lord, you know, and only the Lord knows those are his, I believe he does. But he just, you know, he stumbled every once in a while, like once a month or once every three weeks on crystal meth. Or he struggled once a month over there on pornography. And I've seen it over time, you know, and every once in a while we'll get together and every once in a while, you know, we'll talk. But then I see him and his wife and they come in and they sit down and my heart goes out to him. And I feel like, you know what, bro? I feel like 
You know, you're losing the battle, but this is the reason why. Because you, my brother, are not tapping into the power of God that is within you. The Holy Spirit, you don't have to go that way. You don't have to do that drug. You don't have to click on that porn. Do you see how much your wife loves you? Do you see what God is doing with your kids? How much they love you? And I see, and others may say something different, but I see the way you love your family. This sin is overpowering you, my friend. And I was just trying to tell him, but it doesn't have to be that way when you're a Christian. I just, man, let's ask God for the wisdom to tap into his power. That's what this word is talking about. You know, when you, when you want to be in that, you know, you have that calling in your life, and who knows, maybe you don't want to be. I know one pastor, I don't know if you guys ever heard of him, uh, is at Calvary Chapel, his pastor is Pastor Lance Cook. God called him to be a pastor, and uh, I, I remember um, he, what he did was he literally ran. You know, God was calling him to this area, and he had a whole bunch of young guys that would come around him, and they would ride skateboards and stuff. And, you know, and then they started doing a Bible study, and it was just amazing. Boom, guys started getting saved, and you just saw God's hand on his life. But you know what he did? He moved away. He moved to Hawaii. He ran from the calling. He thought he could run from the calling. But what ends up happening so many times is so cool, like Jonah. God went after him, right? And God got him. God brought him back. And God broke him of his own will. And God made him an awesome pastor. And there's some of you guys here, and you got a calling on your life. And it doesn't go away. Surrender. Surrender to that call. You might look at that list. I look at this list, and I think, Lord, I, I'm not really, you know, 100%. I'm not betting 1,000 on a lot of these things, especially that last one, Lord. I need more power. And God just says, okay, then, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, because God wants to do a work. God loves this world. God loves those lost sinners out there. He just needs men, like Isaiah 6, Jeremiah, send me. He needs men and women who are available. What's the answer for Crete? What's the answer for chaos? Set things in order through the teaching of the, of the word of God and anoint elders in every city. And you begin to see who God wants to work in. You see the command, you see the character, and then the last thing is you see the creed. Look at verse 9. He says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. You know, and here's the key. You know, we're holding fast to the faithful word that we've been taught. You know, whenever I read this concept, I'm reminded of 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10. This guy, Eleazar, he was one of the three mighty men with David. And when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated, it says this guy arose and he attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. Can you visualize that, you guys? His hand stuck to the sword. It, he, he, he clung to that sword so firmly that when it was all said and done, it's like, he, you know, it just stuck there. And to me, it's a, v a beautiful illustration of how we need to stick to the word 
And then it says after that, that the Lord did a great work there. And I believe that that's what will happen when we simply teach the Bible simply. It's not the way it's packaged or presented or anything like that. I wish I could do a better job, but the main thing is this, that the truth goes out. The truth, that we're sinners separated by God. And Jesus came, died for us on the cross. And when we put our faith in him, then we're saved, we're free, we're forgiven. And now God just says, keep teaching the Bible. You know, keep teaching the Bible and tell those husbands and wives how important it is to be real at home. And you start talking about things you're not to be doing, and you put off that, and things you are to be doing, you put on that. And then God, he just begins to do a good work. It's the power of his word. But many pastors today have not held tight. They've not stayed. They've strayed from the faithful word of God. And yet we need to be especially true to God's truth, believing in and holding to the authority of the Bible. You know, this book right here that we have in our hands, it doesn't just contain God's word, it is God's word. From the smallest stroke to the smallest vowel point, every jot and every tittle will come to pass, Jesus said in Matthew 5.18. Without God's word, what do we have? Well, we have man's word, right? God's word is truth, man's word is theory, God's word is fact. Man's word is probably fiction. God's word is edifying and able to build us up, but man's word is a word that tears us down. Therefore, it's terrifying, and it will take you down and down and down, as down as down can be. That's why we thank God that we have his word. And as we you know, look at this, and today we close with that, I pray that we would hold to his word. You know, like as a pastor, you're like, well, what do you mean, Manny? You know, you're teaching the Bible? Yeah, that's part of it, but it's much more than that. Lord, help me to live the Bible. Help me to read my Bible when I wake up in the morning. Help me to get into the word. Let your word get into me. Lord, let me be a man of the word because I know, Lord God, that if I do... There will be power in my walk, power in the ministry. There is power in the word of God. I'll close with this last story. It's a true story. I was fascinated by it. Many years ago in Moscow, uh, there was a, a man by the name of Alexander Rostovzev. And from what I understand, he was like an idol in one sense, you know, real, real famous there in Russia. And he was in a play and he was playing the role of Jesus, but it was a sacrilegious play called Christ in a Tuxedo. Sounds weird, huh? Christ in a Tuxedo. So anyways, in the play, he was supposed to read two verses from the Sermon on the Mount and then remove his gown and cry out, give me my tuxedo and top hat. But as he read the words from the Bible, God began to pierce his heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And as he began to read just those two verses, history tells us that this man began to tremble. And instead of following the script, he kept reading from Matthew chapter 5. He ignored the coughs and the calls and the foot stamping of his fellow actors and finally, he recalled a verse as he's reading that he had learned in his childhood from the Russian Orthodox Church. And he remembered that verse that said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And history tells us that before the curtain could be lowered, Rastavis, Rastavis, I don't know how to say his name, Rastavzev, this guy right here, <laughs> was born again. The power of the Word of God has saved so many of your souls. And now what God wants to do is he wants to speak his word in you and through you to save the lost. So cool. Lord, we just thank you so much for allowing us to study your word together, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you would work in every heart here how you love your people, Lord. And I know, Lord God, that they are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you prepared beforehand that they should walk in them. Lord, that you love them. You want to take them to heaven when they die. And Lord, you want to bless them with a slice of heaven while they live. And so, Father, I pray you would continue to work in every heart and break the addictions and light a fire, light a desire for your people. And it doesn't matter what the position is. But whatever their position is in the body of Christ, God, I pray that we would be faithful to that calling. Bless the homes here, Father. Bless my home. Forgive me for when I fall short. I want to be real, Lord. And bless every heart here. Bless your sons. Bless your daughters, Lord. And even as we read today about that, that power, that robust strength that only comes from you, Lord, if there's anyone here today, they've been overpowered, they've gotten beaten up by the enemy, the world and the flesh, chewed up and spit out. God, that's not the way it should be for your people. And so, Lord, I just ask in simplicity today, Fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Empower them. Help them to get back into the Word, back into prayer. Lord, do that work in my heart, Lord, in all of our hearts. And I pray, Father, please, if there are any here today who don't know you, they're not Christians, then, Lord, you would save them. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you don't know where you would go if you were to die, God wants you to have that assurance. God loves you. Jesus died for you on the cross. But you got to be real. You can't play church. You got to give Jesus your heart. You got to turn from your sins and trust him as Lord and Savior. And if you want to do that today, if you want to know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven, if you want your name written in the book of life, if you want power over sin, then you need to pray a prayer and ask Christ into your heart. A simple prayer. You could pray something like this, and you could even pray it with me now if you want. You could pray it later. But you just pray this prayer. Lord, I come to you, and I admit I have sinned, but I turn from my sin, and today I trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward. In Jesus' name. 
you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then God's working in your life. Man, I would love to talk to you. We would love to talk to you, give you a Bible, help you in your walk with the Lord, man. But I just pray for all of us here, you guys, that we would just have a week, a new year, um, that God would work in us in such a way that he would be glorified, that our family would be blessed, our church, our community would never be the same. Why? Because I pray we would never be the same. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.